Edge Radio. You're listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing, coming to you worldwide from MegaWare Keelguard Studios. Bass Edge Radio, bringing it back, May 15th episode. Aaron, super stoked to be here with another episode. I got to ask you, a lot of people think of you as Mr. Martinez for several (laughs) reasons. I want to know if you're recovered yet, even though it's been almost two weeks from Cinco de Mayo. I am recovered, Kurt. I am (laughs) recovered from Cinco de Mayo. And you can definitely tell we're in different times when we're talking about holidays that were uh, 10 days ago, by the way. That is known, widely known, that I am called A.A. Ron Martinez. I'll just go ahead and throw them all out there, Kurt, since you uh, (laughs) shared with our friends. Speaking of, though, things being a lot different, Kurt, you know, it's it's kind of that graduation season when uh, high schools, colleges, those types of things, and certainly we're seeing uh, those are different times. Yes, way off the radar. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and it makes me wonder, you know, what will change, if anything, moving forward with bass tournaments? Yeah, well... Man, I I think, you know, we're going to see a lot of different things. I think the big pre-tournament meetings, I think you're going to see those fall off the wayside here for at least the remainder of 2020, right? I'm excited to get some of these events really rolling through again. And the light is there and the entertainment factor is coming. And we're all going to be able to feel a little back to normal a little bit, right? I mean, there's going to be a process for all that to move in that direction. And in some cases, a long process. But yeah, I think there's going to be some changes for sure. So some of them are going to be great for anglers like me that, you know, I'm, I'm a rule reader. So I know what the rules are and I pay full attention to what I need to be prepared for for a specific event. So um, I'm, I'm going to be happy not to uh, have those free tournament meetings. I can spend some productive time, more time thinking about the next bass I'm going to catch or the, the next strategic move or the weather change and, and these kinds of things. So um, I think it's going to change tournament fishing a little bit, and we'll see how the big organizations flow through the remainder of 2020 with the process. It's going to be interesting, but I'm uh, just happy that I can say that we're headed that way, right? <laughs> right, right. You know, and I, I hope, I, I do think there has to be changes, and I, and I do agree with you. You're going to see some things like that. Hopefully, it uh, does not take away from the camaraderie, which our sport is uh, so known for. But regardless, whatever happens, it's going to be ultimately for the health and well-being of everybody. You know, Kurt, along the same lines of, of changes, obviously, there are sporting events. They're non-existent. Um, yeah. And I've noticed that through kind of just even in the fishing world, you know, FLW has reposted some of the classics. Uh, oh, yeah. You can go back I, and watch. I'm a fan of those. Been checking them out for the last month or so. But uh, yeah, they are awesome shows, Aaron. So if Bass Edge Nation hasn't checked some of these old events out, man, they are they are fun to watch. And some of them are like, really? That was 2001? Or, oh my God, that was 2003? And you're like, holy crap, I guess it was a long time ago. We're it old, is man, we're 2020. <laughs> so, so uh, but yeah, they're, they're a ton of fun to watch. 
watch. And, you know, I watched one recently where Scott Canterbury was a uh, rookie on the FLW tour and he had fished two events and finished in the cut both times. And, and they were talking about his his newfound. I don't really want to say fame at that point yet, but but just, you know, lighten up the circuit and you see see some of the guys. It's just fun to watch, man. It's nostalgia for me and old patterns, old, old things that that worked on lakes that you might fish that that I think are fun to watch. But man, it's great entertainment. And and I gotta say the bass masters, there's a lot of old bass masters out there too that, that folks can uh need they, they need to just watch the stuff, man. It's it's a lot of fun for the junkie like me. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I always enjoy uh, seeing those. And and like you said, Kurt, it's it's amazing when you go back and watch that stuff. It's like, well, it worked back then. Why did we get away from doing it? You know, so many yeah. times we're guilty of that. So anyway. Well, hey, look, Aaron, we've got a lot of great stuff coming up here in this show. Got a great angler lined up. But before we get there, we've got a very informative tackle tip, something you all need to check out if you haven't heard about it yet. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with the tackle tip from Protect the Heart. The ProtectTheHarvest.com Tackle Tip with none other than Bass Edge Radio show host, Aaron Martin. We spend most of our time here on Bass Edge talking about what happens on the other end of the line, but really we need to give consideration and thought to kind of the maintenance items of what keeps us out on the water. And I want to reflect back on one of the things that we talked about during episode 326, and that's concerning the MegaWare battery guard. One of the things that you often hear is that a cell goes bad inside of a battery. And if that happens, that can be havoc when it comes to your electronics, your trolling motor, or even your big motor. An easy solution to that is the battery guard. For 1995, basically they fit all the way up to size 31 batteries. You place those in between your battery and the bottom of your boat. It cuts way down on the G-Shock, which as we know, that vibration can cause the cell failure. It's well worth the investment of $19.95, and they will protect all of our batteries that we have riding around and so dependent upon when we're out there trying to catch a bass. Be sure to visit them at megaware.com and certainly go back and listen to Tom on episode 326. Great tip, Aaron. Brought to you by protecttheharvest.com. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Livewell, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Aaron, post-spawn patterns. 
post-spawn as we approach here the latter half of May um, and, and all into June, obviously there's still a lot of spawning going around in the U.S. with the uh, bass behaviors. But as we move into this post-spawn segment of the year, uh, more or less, there can be a funk that the fish go through. So I'm interested to hear uh, let's break down a couple baits for the listeners that we have our own success with and like to kind of dissect the post-spawn bite with. Wow. I only get to pick one, huh? One bait, one oh, lure, man. one technique. Right. Now, you can you know expound on the technique and all that kind of stuff, but one. All right. Well, Kurt, just so you know, you know, there's a lot of guys that shy away from post-spawn fishing. I actually kind of embrace that just because I generally get my butt kicked when, when everybody's catching them during the spawn. So Slam set. Right, right. Yeah, right. yeah. I, you know, so I'll call when I'll use it. So if, if I've got a lake like Table Rock that has some trees, some deeper water, some clear water, hands down, I am going to have a swim bait tied on. Now, the size of the swim bait might differ. But um, I am absolutely going to start with a swim bait, probably start with a smaller one going out off the points, uh, maybe in the uh, tree lines that's on the channel swings of them pulling back out, trying to uh, entice them to come up out of those trees and just reach out and and latch on. And then if I have success doing that, I'm going to keep working maybe up to a 5.8, you know, a bigger type swim bait and uh, just keep going until I stop getting bit. How about yourself? Aaron, you know, this was tough as we, you know, prepped a little bit for the show, thinking about a couple different ways I like to attack the post-spawn scenario. I was tossed up between a Nico rig because the effectiveness is way, way over the top. Just, you get so many bites with that thing. It's so awesome. But... I just didn't feel like I'd be able to cover enough water if I could only choose one. So my choice of technique, Carolina rig. I'm going to fish a Carolina rig. It's difficult to use it on, you know, vertical type structure, but I'm really looking for flatter areas because when those fish are pulling out of those spawning pack pockets, they're going to get out on those flat, long points. You know, they're out there just kind of resting, you know, the shad are starting to spawn. So there's easy ways for them to grab a meal in the morning and then just kind of recoup the rest of the day. I'm going to drag that Carolina rig out there in that eight to 12 foot zone. You know, that seems to be that zone i really like to pick off these post-spawn fish and weight size is important you want to get away with the lightest weight possible based on weather conditions so if i've got heavy wind i'm gonna use a one ounce carolina rig weight if i'm gonna get really light wind i'll dumb it all the way down to about a three eighths ounce but i'm gonna change my line size with that too so i still have good sensitivity because a lot of time in the post spawn the bite is not very strong you know it's a light bite the fish aren't crazy aggressive they're just kind Kind of, you know, you're you're bringing a Carolina rig presentation plastic along with them, and and I, sometimes I'll stick with the lizard. I might even get a little crazy and go with a grub, but a lot of small creature style baits are often, you know, something I like to throw. Um, a brush hog 
really popular for me on a Carolina rig, but um, these are the kind of plastics that I'm going to present and I'm going to change from big plastics, small plastics, just, you know, kind of depending on watercolor and, you know, the lake that I'm fishing, uh, what size bass are there and maybe a bite or two that I've gotten. But Carolina rig, Aaron, that's my choice. Postpone. If I had one to choose from, I'm sticking to it. I will catch them with the Carolina rig. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, just, I, I would hate to be fishing against you because that was my second choice, believe it or not. So anyway, you made me go first, so I was afraid you were going to steal mine, but regardless. Well, I will say this. The reason I moved away from the neck, the Neko rig is great around post-spawn dock fish, okay? Post-spawn dock fish, Neko rig is a deal. But covering water, getting out over top the flats, got to throw that Carolina rig. But enough of what we love about post-spawn fishing. We've got a guest. We're going to talk about manufacturing baits a little bit, Aaron. We're going to talk a little bit about, you know, mid-Atlantic fishing. We're going to talk a little bit about more post-spawn and the transition from spawn to post-spawn and how you can stay on top of your game. We got a BAS, this Elite Series angler coming up. I'm not going to tell you who it is. Stay right here. We'll be right back. I'm BASS Elite Angler Skylar Hamilton. This is FLW Tour Angler James Nigelman. I'm professional angler Mark Rose. I'm professional angler Britt Myers. This is FLW Tour Champion David Williams. Stay tuned for more Bass Edge Radio. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat, MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare KeelGuard, SkegGuard, FlexStep Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare KeelGuard. Radio brings a different concept to this episode where manufacturing meets branding and is fulfilled through angling. Pleased to break down all parts of bass fishing industry with BASS Elite Series angler John Cruz. John, appreciate you joining us today. Thanks, Kurt, man. I'm looking forward to this. You guys get to break it down the nitty gritty, and that's what I love about this sport. Well, John, we are excited to have you. And before we dive off, uh, first, I just want to tell you, great start to the 2020 season. Two solid events at the St. John's River, and then you back that up with uh, momentum by going into an excellent showing at the Bassmasters Classic. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's good. You know, both of those events kind of just fell together. You know, I thought I was going to do halfway decent at the at the classic I was catching fish a couple different ways it definitely came together pretty well and then uh, at the St. John's I'd I had uh, had some areas going and really had to kind of you know fall back to like plan C and D there because of the crazy weather conditions but maybe uh, maybe that's kind of what I need is uh, like curveballs thrown at the whole field and uh, and I can do better you know they're like uh, <laughs> they're like the guy in uh, major league you know they the rest of the field's having a harder time hitting them so right right <laughs> well you, that's it. you got a lot of young anglers out there in the elite series and a, and a lot of veterans as well and you know when you're off two days completely off the water it kind of sets a new vibe for what's ahead and 
and, and maybe some experience that, that you have that maybe some of the anglers don't, you can capitalize on that at times. Definitely. I think you're, I think you're right, Kurt. Having a couple of days off, I know is one is good for my kind of the way I fish. Cause I always fish new water every day of every tournament. And that helps me kind of stay up on, on what the fish are doing. And then uh, the other thing I joke about is, <laughs> is that when I get out there, I don't expect to catch them in my first place. And a lot of times I don't, I don't expect to catch them in the second place that I fish. It's, it's <laughs> I kind of how it seems like it goes and like, okay, all right, now what are we going to do? We're just going to go fish and just beat around and see what we can uh, scare up. And, you know, once you get a couple bites, it'll, you know, usually it gives you a clue as to, to what's going on that particular day. And basically that's exactly what happened, you know, in, in those first two events. I didn't really have what I, what I thought was going to be going on was not going on. And, uh, and so I kind of had to just, just go fishing and, and figure out what was going on at that particular time. And, and, uh, I think that's, uh, there's a lot to be said to that for any angler really. Yeah. Adjusting typically key to consistent success. Uh, you know, if we were, if we were to break it all down, I think, and be able to look into the, into the bowels of every anglers, you know, electronics that do well, you know, you could see their practice lines and see their tournament lines. And oftentimes they don't intersect a whole lot. Right. Right. They're kind of making new things happen, at least on a consistency base. I think sometimes when you get too uh, narrowly focused, uh, you can have a good tournament or two, but then you, you have some bombs and, and it can really affect you at the end of the year. So uh, definitely an interesting concept and great to hear you hear you mention those types of things. You know, this industry, such you've been such a force in it for a long time, John. I can remember actually uh, sitting in a gymnasium at a BFL on the James River and I had didn't know uh, who you were. You, you certainly didn't know who I was and uh somebody had mentioned hey you know that that young guy down there he's gonna be a good angler you know he's he's got what it takes I was like man that's cool you know so I, I remember this from a long time ago the missile baits John I, I want to kind of really dive into missile your company how it got started what did you see as the need for missile how it derived and what are the goals what were the goals early in the company and what are the goals now well you, you know early on in my career you know early on you know when i you know when we were getting to know each other uh, back uh, when we were both living in virginia my overall plan was not to only tournament fish you know, I thought that tournaments would just lead me into something else, you know, whether it was a, a TV show like Hank Parker or Jim right. Houston or Bill Dance or something like that or, or, or whatever else it might be, you know, some other position within the fishing industry that allowed me to continue to fish. And I just enjoyed business too much. Uh, as, you know, growing up and, and in college, that was my major in business and economics. And, and so I was just kind of looking for that opportunity that was going to kind of present itself from being a professional angler. And about, I don't know how many years into it, I started working with the Spro Corporation and, and uh, designing and promoting crankbaits. And I, I absolutely loved the process of designing something that was completely new and different than anything on the market and, and then promoting it and talking about it and educating people on how to use it. I took that same model and I, I wanted to do the same thing for soft plastics uh, I talked with uh, two or three companies that wanted to do that same model in soft plastics. But the problem I ran into was that there was already brand knowledge of somebody else's brand. Gotcha. So I was going to have to like, you know, totally reinvent a brand to make it fit what I was kind of wanting to do. And sure. And so, you know, the more I got into it, the more I said, you know what, I really need to start. A separate, a new brand. I need to create a new brand. I went and 
I thought I was going to need partners, other people or other anglers to, to partner with. Right. And I started out with two other people in the concept of this deal of missile baits. And we didn't know it was going to be even called missile baits at that point in time. Right, right, we right. had a couple other names that we were kind of floating around. Give us a little insight. Throw, throw us a name or two that was floated around. Before. Well, you know, you know who my two best friends are on tour. Ike and Ish were, the, were, were involved with it. And, and it, Ike had this major opportunity with pure fishing who he's got a great relationship with and still, still does to this day. He had a great opportunity come along and he told me, he said, man, he said, I knew that I was wanting to do this with with you. But at the same time, he said, I I just threw him a crazy number and and they took it. He said, I I have to take it. And I said, man, I don't blame you. You do what you got to do. That's just better. You know, it's good business sense. So he he was out. So then it was down to me and Ish. And as we got closer to, you know, actually forming a company, I could tell he was getting a little cold feet on the whole situation. And he said, look, you know, it's a lot of work, right? I mean, yeah, it's it's a lot of work and it's a big commitment and there's, you know, money involved. And, you know, a lot of times money and friends don't mix too well. And, and so we, uh, he just said, you know, I'm, I'm afraid it's going to mess up our friendship if something happens or if we don't agree on something. And I I thought we could work through everything from that perspective. And, and then I finally, you know, once I started putting numbers down, I realized that, you know, I think I can do this financially by myself. And so I called them and I said, look, if you, if you want to just, you know, bow out and, you know, not be a, an owner in this deal, I'm fine with that. I think I can do it. And right. he's like, he, it was like a relief for him. Right, like, okay, right. great. That, that's, that sounds good to me. Um, no problem. But he, but he still wants, I, I, obviously he still wanted to help you push the baits. I mean, he, well, he said, yeah, he yeah. said, immediately, he said, I want to be your, I want to be your first pro staff guy. And I right. want to be the guy that helps you build the brand. I was like, yeah. I said, done, done deal. <laughs> so that's how that part started. And he, uh, I mean, obviously with him winning that Bassmaster elite event, uh, the first year, it was five months into us or three months into us, you know, even selling our first lure. He uh, he really put missile baits on the map and the D bomb and uh, you know so obviously he's still our premier pro staffer. I consider him our premier pro staffer ahead of myself. I do more <laughs> of the the jabbering, but you know he uh, he really and still does a, an amazing job even to this day. Well, John, you know there are so many lures, whether it's hard baits or plastics, and um, that are out there. And I kind of compare it to you know to the grocery business, right? Everybody is competing mm-hmm. for shelf space for pegs on the board, right? To have that. Uh, whether it's in a brick and mortar store or be featured, you know, through the various uh, websites, things like that. What does it take for a new lure business to be successful breaking into the market? Uh, I think there's a handful of different, let's call it, uh, you know, for fishing terms, a handful of different techniques that can be effective. Uh, you know, if you want to go catch bass, a spinnerbait is a great lure, but it doesn't always work. Uh, when conditions are right, you or the you know or the lake or the river that you're fishing is accommodating, you, you spinnerbait can be great, but it's not always. And in business and with a lure company, there's different ways you can go about trying to be successful and different models that can be successful. But for with missile baits, when we started, I mean the the company's over eight years old now. I wanted to make the company kind of a blend of a traditional lure company. And then a modern, what I call a modern business. And what I mean by that is there are a lot of companies out there in the fishing industry that are using antiquated models to run their company. You know, there's too many layers to them. Everybody's getting their hands on the product before it even touches the the consumer. Uh, You know, you got rep groups and distributors and, 
and, you know, and they're relying on other people to do their marketing. And there's just too many layers to these companies and they're just not big enough to accommodate that, in my opinion, you know, based on where we are in 2020. And, you, and when you say big enough, you're, you're really speaking of the industry itself, right? I mean, there's only so many bass fishermen or so many fishermen in general that, that fish enough to really make an impact on sales, right? That, that's Yeah, that's part of it. But the other part is, you know, when you look at a company, if you had a $500 million company and you had much larger profit margins or, or you're, you're just talking about much larger sales to where your profits, you know, even of the same margin area would be a substantial amount of money. Mm -hmm. You know, you're talking about there's a lot of companies and the majority of the companies in the fishing industry are less than five million dollar, you know, sales a year companies. And so yeah, okay, five million dollars is big. Okay, well a lot of them are less you know, considerably less than five million. A lot of them are, you know, one to two million. Okay, so now you're talking about a profit margin of let's say 30, 40 percent right. on you know end profit margin on on your products. You know, so that cuts down to a couple hundred grand, then you've got extra overhead. And then when you start paying all these other layers entities. and, and yeah. entities, yeah. all of a sudden you get down to where you're not making very much money. You know, <laughs> right. there's just not not a lot of profit to go around. Plus, if you're trying to continue to grow your business, you got to constantly reinvest into new products and new colors and new advertising and new websites and things like that, which costs money. And you, you have to be willing to make that sacrifice. And I think that's where some of the older traditional companies, I felt like there was an opportunity. They're not doing that. And a company that comes along like Muscle Baits that that works hard on, on their social media, just as well as we work, try to work hard on making sure that we have good new lures that fishermen want to, want to use. So that's kind of where, or all the, all the lure ideas come from is, you know, out there on tour, you know, I'll be talking to people who are fishing and, you know, I ask them, Hey, what are you using on a shaky head? You know, what are you using on a drop shot? Uh, what, what am I using? And I look around on the other pros decks. I mean, that's where the rubber beats the road, right? Right. Right. You, you look around and it's so funny because I feel like <laughs> you feel odd, you know, looking on other, <laughs> right, other anglers right. decks. Like I'm not, I don't care about what they're fishing with or what they're doing in this tournament. I'm looking just as far general, as what right? lures are they using? Are, are they, you know, guys still throwing robo worms or are they, you know, a lot of guys switched over to, you know, the Z2 plastics by Strike King or or what, what are they really using? When it counts, what are they really using? And that's yeah. uh, and that's something that you can only get by being on the top level tours and getting to see what guys are actually throwing. And then, you know, nah, I mean, I was just straight up asking me like, hey, you know, what do you think about that lure? Do you really like it? Is it good? What do you like about it? And just kind of getting other anglers perspective on, on why they're using certain lures and they still use those. And, you know, there's a lot of guys that still use Senkos. No matter what might be on the side of their uh, uh, or on their jersey or on their boat, do, do you know when when it's time to go down, they might still be using a trick worm or or, sure. or a fluke or whatever it is, uh, because those are generational type lures. Uh, and it's also been very flattering to me to to look around and see the number of guys that are flipping D bombs. Right. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm talking guys that I never thought would have in, would throw in in a million years. <laughs> um, I mean, I look like, whoa, wait a minute. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, no doubt. And and so it's it's been kind of flattering to see to see that as well. But I think that helps stay on top of what trends and what baits are on the top of anglers' 
list as far as what they're what they're fishing with and what they want to fish with let's break into that a little bit you talked a little bit about how you look at, at different uh lures and and study different baits and and mm-hmm. what's you know like you said where the rubber meets the road what are people really using what's really successful no better place to see that than, than the Bassmaster elite series can you explain to the listeners that process i mean kind of what it takes from start to finish um some mm-hmm. of the unseen challenges on your end in the development of lure process goes through from A to Z? Sure. I'll start with the latest soft plastic that we came out with, and that's our, our quiver worm. And we right. did just, it in two, just two introduced sizes. It the classic, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Just introduced yep. it at the classic and it has been it has been red hot. It it's been our best bait launch to date, really, even better than the D bomb as far as going from zero to everywhere kind of a kind of a situation. What, what happened was last year during the year for about the second or third year, I found myself fishing the Neko rig. You know, some people mm-hmm. still call it the Nico rig, but if Japanese right. anglers have corrected me multiple times, so I'll, <laughs> right. I'll, I'll call it their correct name. Abide by, the, abide by the wish. Yeah, yes, the Neko rig. <laughs> and it is extremely effective in certain situations to catch and fish. And, you know, and really it came over from Japan. And just to kind of date, myself there's a gentleman named Hideki who fishes over here and still does uh, from Japan and he fished with me probably 12 years ago and he pulled out this rig with a little zoom swamp crawler a little tiny nail weight in the end of it he was fishing it in open water at Lake Amistad <laughs> and I, I was like dude what in the world is that and it, he's like uh he, I can't even remember what he called it uh, he, like he didn't call it the Neko rig I don't even know what what he called it and and so I I came back and I and he oh by the way he caught 20 pounds out of the back of my boat <laughs> fishing open water and that was the same reaction I had I was laughing because I I never would have thrown any lure in the direction where he threw and caught all those fish so I was like dude have at those fish because I don't have a clue what Word you're doing or how you're <laughs> catching those fish and uh, and so like ever since then it's kind of been on my mind. I've all, I've dabbled with it, you know, for for a long time and you know, looking back on it, obviously I had probably should have fished it a lot more. But either way, the last few years I started fishing it a lot more and catching more fish on it. And I was fishing a bunch of different lures to try to find the worm that I liked best on that rig and I, and I mm-hmm. couldn't find it. I mean, there's there's some decent options. A trick worm is okay on that rig. Robo worms just they're just too soft. You can't uh, they're they're too thin and soft. They just don't they don't act right. And you know, there's different worms that that do okay. And now there's a few worms out there that are designed for them, but I still don't think that they're what I was looking for. And then what hit me was last year I was I started fishing the Tokyo rig quite a bit. I had been fishing it, playing around. Right. The Tokyo rig all of a sudden was like one of my favorite baits to fish. And I was like, man, I have got to design something for the Neko and for the Tokyo rigs. And then we had just introduced last year our Ned Bomb, our little Ned rig bait, which is right. doing great. And I said, has a very similar it, tail to, to and then, it, and then it, yeah. yeah, and then it dawned on me. I said, man, I just want a longer Ned Bomb. And that's going to be perfect for the Neko rig and for the Tokyo rig. And, and so like, it just hit me like a load of bricks, you know, just the, one of those epiphany moments. So I, I drew it out and played around with the dimensions a little bit and played around with the tail size to, to get it exactly the way I wanted it. And uh, man, it, as soon as I saw it in the water, I said, yep, this is, this is definitely it. This is uh, it's a little different plastic than we use in, in our D bombs and, and other uh, you know, destroyers and our other plastics. So it's, um, 
I mean, I think it just came out, came out perfect for, for what I wanted it for. And then since, since it came out, man, I've caught fish on it on a shaky head. I've caught fish on it on a drop shot. I've caught fish on it, using it as a chatterbait trailer. <laughs> I, I'm pleasantly surprised at the versatility of this thing. And, and, it, and I think a lot of anglers are, are really, you know, they're getting to see it underwater and then they're, they're getting out there and going to, to fish it and, you know, really seeing what I'm seeing in the bait as well. You look at it in a detailed view, John. I mean, you know, it's got a blunt head, which which a lot of plastics don't have a blunt head, but so many mm-hmm. different techniques. It, it rigs better. Uh, you talk right. about the Neko rig, you know, sticking a nail weight in it. Um, yep. You know, some of the other uh, techniques that you just talked about that you're just catching uh, lots of fish on multiple ways with this particular uh, quiver worm. Uh, the blunt head of the plastic gives it so many ways that, that you can utilize it. So right. it's every time that it seems like, you know, missiles doing something, they're coming out with something. The reason I feel like it's so good is because you're behind it. You know, you've got anglers behind it. You listen to the anglers, you cut out the corporate nonsense and say, okay, what is going to catch fish? And there you've got missile baits. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. Right. That's it. You know, and you know, I, I work directly with the mold manufacturer. They make prototype molds, then they send them to our bait manufacturer, then they'll shoot me samples, then I'll get the samples and then I'll say yay, nay, or you know, a lot of times we'll make, you know, just one or two tweaks and then we'll we'll get it right. When I send the the drawings to the mold maker, I mean, I've got exact specifications as far as diameters at various lengths along the worm. I mean, very very detailed. So we don't usually go through too many versions until we get it the way that I want it. And then uh, once once I give the final approval, then they'll make the production mold, which is an aluminum mold depending on the how the bait's laid out and different things. Uh, as far as how many cavities will be in that mold, they'll send that mold to our soft plastics manufacturer. Then they'll they'll make it exactly to our specifications. You know exactly to the colors and to the softness and texture and all that kind of stuff that uh, that we want. And then they'll I'll bat, they'll have them bagged exactly to to our specs as well. And then we get them in into the warehouse and sell them. John, man, fantastic transparency on what is going on behind the scenes at Missile Baits and what it takes to be successful in the industry. A lot of success out everywhere. Garage plastic companies, as we all know, they are everywhere in the United States. And they're a lot of fun. Anglers having a lot of great time taking it to the next level, though. Missile Baits over the last, you know, 10 or so years. It's been been fun to watch. Appreciate that conversation. We're going to dive into a little bit more fishing in the second half of this interview. Power pole down right here for a quick message. Then Bass Edge Radio returns with some post-spawn tactics with BASS Elite Series angler John Cruz. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Power Pole is the ultimate shallow water boat positioning tool. Swift, Power Pole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, Power Pole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Power Pole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio is presented in part by Mercury Marine, returning with BASS Elite Angler John Cruz in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right, Lucas Oil High Performance Marine Products. For oil that surpasses all manufacturer's requirements, be sure to visit the BassEdge.com store for free shipping on all Lucas products. It works. 
Well, John, you know, coming from the same state and pounding on some of the same waters when we were young and you're still out there, uh, moved more, you know, closer to the southwest side of Virginia, probably Smith Mountain Lake. You're spending most of your free time fishing, I would have to guess, but really want to dive into the post-spawn bite after it arrives, uh, you know, later on this year. For your perspective, how do you see fish behave after the spawn and what are ways you're looking to target them? Sure. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think as far as post spawn goes, what you need to identify first in the lake that you're fishing is what's the predominant bait fish in Virginia. They have a lot of shad and alewives in Smith Mountain Lake about the middle late part of April. That's right when the fish are spawning. That is also corresponds with when those bait fish start to spawn. And those bait fish are spawning at night predominantly. In the evenings, not as much, but definitely in the morning, the first half hour out to hour, there is a shad spawn bite that, that occurs. And those fish will be up on those rocks. The little bait fish will be spawning on those rocks. And, and the bass and, and sometimes the stripers as well will be up there uh, ready to uh, pounce on them. That is a very intense bite. That bite goes consistently kind of across the south, across the, the uh, middle of the country and, and in the south wherever there's shad and like that bite goes on in that post-spawn period. And that's something that you definitely need to be conscious of. Uh, great ways to, to capitalize on that are spinnerbait or topwater lure along those, uh, those areas where those fish are spawning. But then, you know, Smith Mountain is starting to get more blueback herring in the lake. The blueback herring tend to start spawning in the early May and in most most areas where those bluebacks are, you know, like Norman's now got bluebacks in them. Um, uh, a lot of those lakes, you know, Clarks Hill, those lakes down there, you know, like Murray, they have the bluebacks. But the bluebacks, they spawn on different types of places. They spawn on red clay, long sloping points. That's really kind of the premier place that they look to spawn. Any place where there's a, a saddle is really good for bluebacks to be spawning. But you're going to have a little bit different techniques. You know, a, a, a zoom fluke is a tremendous way to catch those fish. And, and it's kind of the same deal. They spawn kind of all day, but early morning, low light conditions are, are premier and they're, they're usually best. But unlike the shad spawn, they will spawn, um, you know, on those points and the, the fish will kind of be in those areas and be ready to pounce all day long. Pencil poppers, topwater, spooks, things like that can be great. And, and that's definitely one of my favorite ways to catch them in the post spawn uh, is that, that topwater and, and that bait fish spawn bite. It's just a lot of fun. And, and if, okay, so if the lakes don't have a lot of shad and they don't have a lot of bluebacks, there's going to be a brim spawn going on. And that, but that's going to be in a totally different place again. That's going to be in the backs of the coves, the backs of the pockets, uh, wherever the water is really calm and it's really flat and it settles. Those brim will be back there. And once again, topwater action is, is usually the way I like to start. Well, John, you've covered uh, a couple different techniques there. You know, so many types of techniques can be applied when you're targeting post-spawn fish. But let's say you're having to go to plan B. Uh, mm -hmm. What kind of direction are you typically led for post-spawn fish? Yeah, the topwater is usually going to be my first choice. But a lot of times you're not going to have weather conditions that are going to be conducive for it. You know, you might have... It might be sunny and slick, just kind of post front conditions. The fish are just, they're just not real active or, or you might be on a lake that just gets the crap fished out of it. And, you know, there's a lot of people beating on it and, and those fish, they kind of get wise to the topwater lures. That's when the finesse tactics really come into play. That's the, you know, the missile baits quiver we just came out with. That is when that type of bait is really going to shine. 
You're just going to really try to pick colors that mimic whatever bait that you're trying to mimic. And, and if you know default is like a, a green pumpkin, so to speak, uh, it's kind of your default. But there's you want to kind of mimic whatever, you know, whether it's a brim, blueback heron or a shad, you want to kind of mimic those. You're going to fish those same areas, but you're going to use finesse techniques. You're going to throw you know, a drop shot. You're going to throw the Neko rig. I think those are two two really good ones. And then now you're going to have the Ned rig or, you know, the Ned bomb, you know, we have for missile. Amazing, amazing product that, or bait that's going to work when fishing gets a little awkward. Those fish are going to, you, you think that they're just going to be absolutely going crazy. But for some reason, you're not getting bit. Drop down with one of those finesse techniques. And all of a sudden, you will probably start catching a lot of fish. John, those are some great insights. I think a lot of times anglers get out there, you know, uh, early in the morning and they hit that, you know, they try to figure out that top water deal. And it can be a small window. Some of the techniques you talk about trying to back those up with, whether it's, you know, neko rig, drop shot, you know, dock fishing, point fishing, all super important to kind of continue, you know, or hopefully have some success as, as fishing might, might tend to get a little bit tougher as the day progresses during that time frame. Because uh, mm -hmm. we all know sometimes those post-spawn fish, once that morning feed rolls through – it can sometimes be a little bit challenging. Would you agree? A hundred percent. Absolutely. And the finesse techniques, a lot of times in those same exact areas where the topwater action is going on, uh, you drop back to that finesse technique, make long casts, you know, kind of stay off of the fish and, and you can continue to get bit. Outstanding. Guys, we're going to dive into our listener question segment of the show. This is presented by Nitro Performance Bass Boats. John, we've got a question here that was sent in from Chris Peterson, actually out of New Jersey. His question is, other than crankbaits, what other techniques would a glass or graphite and fiberglass rod hybrid be used for? Well, you know, I've gotten completely away from using anything fiberglass, any rod fiberglass or fiberglass hybrid. Uh, just for me personally, I think that the rod manufacturers have gotten so good at making different types of tapers, which is where those glass rods were so good. Early on, when the graphite rods were out, they were almost all very fast tapers, very stiff right. rods. And so that's where the fiberglass rods were so good. But you, you lose almost all your feel with fiberglass versus a graphite rod. So the graphite rods, they've changed all their tapers. They've got basically every type of taper that you can imagine, you know, bending throughout the rod, you know, a much faster taper where it only bends at the tip. So I, I just stay with all graphite. But as far as for a glass rod, I know there's still some even pro anglers that like the glass rods or a glass hybrid. Uh, and I think that, you know, rattling baits with braid is one of the areas where I know some guys still like those mm -hmm. rods. And then um, I know there's a couple guys that actually still fish jerk baits on a uh, fiberglass hybrid rod. Uh, but for again, for me, I'm going all graphite because I want that feel. There's nothing like a good full graphite rod. I mean, I'm fishing with cash and rods. They're made right in North Carolina. And I mean, I go I go down there and get exactly the taper I'm looking for in the rods that I want. And uh, and so that's uh, it's kind of the stuff that you can do when you're having the kind of the specs made to exactly what you want. And then you tell everybody, hey, jerkbait, this is the rod right here. It's perfect taper. And right, a lot right. of people go out Th and go, Those are the things you can do yeah. when you're John Cruz. <laughs> well, you know, then then I could once I figure it out, then I can tell everybody else, hey, you need to go right, use right. XYZ rod for this sure. technique and, and, it, and it works out. It helps everybody. Yeah, for sure, John. And, and you are helping everybody because that uh, kind of being on the pro staff and certainly with the technical piece that you bring into the, the lure design and that of your own company, 
company, you've also, uh, we've been the benefactors of that in, in so many things. So we appreciate you answering that question. And Chris, certainly we appreciate you sending that in to be answered on the show. But we do need one more thing from you, and that is your personal information and letting us know that you heard your question answered by John Cruz here on episode 328. Simply go to BassEdge.com, click the Claim Your Prize tab, fill out the information, and we will get the Bass Edge gift sent directly to you. Aaron, seems like I say this every episode. Well, because I do, but man, we're getting a lot of great questions from the listeners. Appreciate y'all sending that in. Keep them coming. We're going to get them out here and get them answered by, by the guys that have the knowledge to give you the absolute best information possible. So keep firing those questions in through our website or our social pages, and uh, we'll keep lighting them up here on the show. Well, John, as always, it is uh, certainly great to chat with you. Such a knowledgeable and industry representative on all accounts. Any closing thoughts for the listeners? I appreciate that. Yeah, um, I would just say that I work hard uh, as well on uh, on keeping everybody informed on my, my social media. I do Facebook, I do Twitter, I do Instagram, and I do YouTube. And I'm posting either two or three videos a week on YouTube. And that, that audience has really grown tremendously for me in the last uh, six months to a year. And all four of those are different. You know, different content goes on each one of those channels. I feel like it's another job that we have to do. And, and I enjoy it and, and embrace it and uh, try to educate and entertain everybody out there. So those are uh, ways that you can keep up with what's what's going on in my world. Yeah, some of those episodes or, or uh, YouTube videos are the John Cruz Comedy Hour also. Entertain you. Entertain That's you, man. exactly right. Hey, John, man, really appreciate you hanging out with us for a bit. And uh, all best wishes as we continue really this wild year in 2020. You guys hang tight. Bass Edge Radio. We'll be right back. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also from MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Back-to-back episodes, uh, you know, John Cruz on this one, Mike Iaconelli before, but uh, yeah. it's great. Great month of May. Great, great month, month of May. Of May. <laughs>
<laughs> no doubt. We're able to latch on to a couple guys that are crazy busy in this industry all the time. And, uh, you know, Johnny brings in just a multitude of experience and, and his platform, his footprint in the industry really brings the knowledge to the listeners from the manufacturing of plastics to talking a little bit about branding and marketing from the angler perspective and from a manufacturer's perspective. And then just the fishing part of it. He lives the lake down there. Have you been to Smith Mountain Lake, Aaron? I have one time. Fun lake, right? I mean, really diverse, small mouth, large mouth, docks, points, uh, rip wrap, great river fishing. So it's got a lot of scenarios that really just drive bass fishing in the mid-Atlantic and and, uh, great to hear John's perspective on fish behaviors and movements and and how that transition process occurs and, and the things that he likes to focus on. Yeah, it's always fun to talk to him. Like you said, Kurt, not only just about the fishing while on the water, but just his knowledge of the bait business and, and how to bring that to market and how he's done that. So kind of the business end as well. But I uh, want to really throw out a thanks again to him for carving out time for us, certainly to all of our listeners. And if you feel so inclined, be sure uh, go out and if you have the opportunity, whether it's on iTunes, Google Play, but leave us a review, uh, send us an email, let us know how we can continue making this show applicable to our listeners, which is ultimately the most important piece of this entire process. In the meantime, be sure to stay up on all things Bass Edge through our social media and BassEdge.com. For Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin, and we look forward to seeing you, hard to believe, June 1, June 1 episode in two weeks, episode 329. So long, everybody. Edge is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com and be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge, brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, Lawrence Electronics, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com. 